0: That is a great job. I sure am thankful for it and thankful for God's goodness to us. Man, I was, I was thinking about hearing our teenagers sing, all my life. It's not as though they've lived a long life yet. And yet, they need to be shown that he's been faithful all our life. And they, they can experience that in a short amount of time. And they can be witness to that in the lives of their parents and their grandparents and other mentors. And man, I mean, w- I want our kids to be able to sing about the goodness of God. More than that, I want them to buy into the goodness of God. He is good. He is good to us, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. Uh, Miss Becca, uh, Miss Abby, Miss Olivia, that was fantastic as well. Just this praise the Lord. God is worthy of such praises and adoration. And. I just want—I want to thank the teens. I want to thank Alex and Miss Jessica, the work they put into that song, and then you three ladies. Just thank you. Anytime you hear an offertory or a special being played, your your attitude ought to be this: God, if I could play like that, I'd want to play like that for you. And I just—this is how what my heart is saying in music towards you. And that was that was such a blessing. We do praise the Lord for the one that was saved tonight or this morning. Thank God for that. And uh, so thankful to have Pastor Jones with us. Um, we were talking. We were talking about um, different faux pas that we've had. He talked about um, leprechauns this morning, and then I, I know y'all are keeping track. I just, I just want to say, uh, where's Miss G Young at? Oh, she's in the nursery. Well, the preaching today was delicious. Yeah, uh, it was great. It was great. Thank I thank I thank God. He's a real dude, and God uses people, and it's a blessing. So we're looking forward to tonight. Every, every service, don't assume that you have no part in it. You have to have a receptive heart. And so as the preacher comes, let's have receptive hearts. Brother Jones, come on. Let's look forward to hearing the word of God. Thanks, brother.
1: God yeah, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, please. Man, what a good day to be in God's house. Amen. Man, I I know a lot of churches are getting rid of Sunday night services. It's just kind of the trend in in Western culture. And I'm glad that you still have Sunday night services. As a pastor, Sunday night is my favorite service of the week. Um, You know, we're like you. On Sunday mornings, we have uh, three different junior churches going on. On Wednesday night, we have discipleship program, youth service, kids' Service, we've got nursery. But, uh, but, you know, on Sunday night, everybody just comes together and everybody's around the table. And man, I love Sunday night. How many of you have ever had God speak to your heart in at least one Sunday night service in the history of your faith? All right, well, then, man, why would you want to get rid of that, you know? Why would you want to do that? And uh, we're going to uh, have a good time. Now, let me tell you something about revival. I tried to define it this morning as revival is, is a renewal of interest in spiritual things. And so it's kind of going to recharge and get going again. Uh, but I, I don't want to disappoint you, but I want you to understand that I did not bring revival with me in my suitcase. It doesn't work that way, right? Uh, we have to have the Holy Spirit do that and bring, bring that to us. Now, when, when somebody brings you in for a revival meeting, they didn't bring you in to mess around. They brought you in to preach, and they felt that you had a certain capability and ability to do that. And so when you, you analyze sermons, you kind of think, oh man, you know, sometimes you're tempted to say, well, this one has this really good illustration and this one is this and this one is that. It, but but I learned, I've learned as I've matured, I, I'm not mature, but I've matured, um, I've learned this. I've learned that really my responsibility isn't to preach a great sermon. Now, I'll try to do that because I'm not prefacing like, oh boy, this sermon's going to stink. No, no, my responsibility is to give you a good truth. And if you can get a good truth, that will impact your heart. Remember, the Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So, so tonight, what I'm going to give you, really, really, this truth, if you'll get a hold of this, I really think it will impact your life, okay? So I, uh, with, with a little less talking here, let's get into it. Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Am I on here? I tried, I'm on here, all right. I'm not hearing anything on this, but it's telling me I'm on. They look confused. Let's stand. We'll read the Bible, and I'll use this for now. All right? Very good. All right, I want to read verses 1 through 16. It says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. Uh, You know, uh, Vance Havner said this. I love Vance Havner's wit and wisdom. He said this, Everywhere Paul went, there was either a riot or a revival. And that seems to kind of, he he had an ability to stir things up a little bit. And you know, if you know the context, what happened is he was in Jerusalem. He went into the temple courtyard area. They assumed, and assumptions can get you in trouble, they assumed that he had a Gentile with him. This created a big bunch of trouble, stirred up the pot, and he's kind of... uh, Trying to tamp all of that kind of stuff down. And so he said a lot of lot of uproar going on and and difficulty going on. And so, and so when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came unto Greece. And there abode three months, and when the Jews laid wait for him, he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And they were accompanied unto him into Asia Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas, and we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. Now, if you're a Bible reader, those first six verses, there, are really exciting stuff. Like, I, I don't know anybody that said, you know, my life verse is Acts 20, verse 4. I, I mean, again, just kind of history. Now, it's going to change in verse 7. Look at this. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. How many of you say that, that would disrupt your service? Okay, we'll talk about that. Verse 10, and Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourself for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again into broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till break of day, so he departed and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Now we're going to transition back. So we had verses one through six, just kind of this travel log, if you will, then this amazing event that happened in verses seven through 12 and then verse 13, and we went before the ship and sailed into Asos there intending to take in Paul for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came into Mitlien. We sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried there at Trogaleum. And the next day we came into Miletus. Don't you love all these words in the Bible? I practice these things, and I think I got them. And then you get up here and you're like, no, you don't have them. But you don't know how to pronounce them either. So... <laughs> Verse 16, for Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hastens if it were possible to be in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. All right, so I, I want to preach to you the title of my message tonight is Only One Life. And I want to show you there's there's a powerful truth in here as we take this collectively. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I pray you fill me with thy spirit. I pray that you'd work in my heart, my life, and pray that you would use me to be a blessing to these precious people, this good church, and I pray that you would speak to us and help us tonight. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. I would imagine that many of you in this room are familiar with the name C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd was a man who was born into wealth, a family of great privilege and wealth. And if you know anything about his biography, this is pretty cool, his father was saved at a D.L. Moody evangelistic crusade. I mean, how cool is that? D.L. Moody came and preached an evangelistic campaign in England, and uh, his father was there at the meeting and got saved. That's not where C.T. Studd got saved, but it kind of goes along with our message this morning. A preacher preached a message, his father got saved, but what happened is a preacher came by their home after the fact and sat in their in their uh, home and led CT and his brothers to Christ. You don't know the name of that preacher. I don't anyway, but he was faithful and he witnessed them and CT and his brothers got saved. CT went on to prestigious colleges and and he even excelled in athletics. he excelled in the sport of cricket. Now I love sports. I really do. i I love sports of all kinds, but i got to confess to you, I I don't know a whole lot about cricket. I know it's kind of like baseball and it can last for weeks. So I don't quite understand it, but I like baseball a little better. But he was a really good cricket player and he was really famous in it um, and and excelled. So his brother George uh, got very sick and was seriously ill. And uh, CT came to visit him and his brother George is laying on his deathbed. And, and he looked at C.T. at, at, a, at a point in, in this time period, and he, he asked him this question. He said, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? And that's a pretty good question, right? I mean, what is all the fame and flattery worth when, when we're facing eternity? This gripped C.T. Studd. I mean, really, it shook him. And if you know the story, what he did is he, he uh, gave up his... Uh, Pursuit of excellence in his athletic field and education and so forth and he became a missionary And he served in the following fields. He served in China India and Africa And much of his mission work still continues to this day. I mean literally some of his work is still going on this very day And as a result of this conversation with his brother, he wrote a poem Only one life He, he wrote a poem and you can google it and you can read it not right now But you can google it and read it sometime but the poem is famous, there's more to it than this, but the poem is famous because it has this line, and some of you will know it, you'll, you'll recognize it right away. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. That's a, that's a great statement, and again, there's more to the poem than that, but that's what we, we, we've memorized and remember, and, and what, what a great statement. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. You know, I want you to understand tonight, all of us want our lives to count for something. All of us want our lives to have a purpose. I mean, I I mean this sincerely when I say this. I I have the privilege to be the pastor of a great church, Oakwood Baptist Church. And and when when the history of that church, it started in 1906, the church's been around a long time, when the history of that church is finally written and done, I mean, this is a serious question to me. Will Oakwood Baptist Church be any different because I labored there? I, I would like to think that it would be. I, when its history is written, I, I'd like for them to say, hey, they had a pastor for this time period in their history. And listen, this pastor made a difference in the life of this ministry. I mean that when I say that. I would like for that to be said. I don't know if that will be said. I would like it because I would like to know that my life made a difference there. I mean I mean this when I say that. I would like to know that the community of Anderson where I live is impacted and different in some degree because I lived there. Can, can I flip that around and, and, and ask you that question? I mean, really, could you say that, that the West Valley Baptist Church is different because you were a member here, you labored here, you, you, you were a part of this. I mean, really, I think we want our lives to, to count and make a difference. Could we say that the town of, of and the community here, had some, look look, I, I shined my light somehow, and I made a difference. We only have one life, and it soon will be passed. And really, only what, Christ, what is done for Christ is what's going to last. We talk about effective people. Paul was, was a man who changed the world as few men have ever done. I mean, th- this guy, I mean, really, there was something about him. I mean, when you read about Paul, I mean, we talked about reading about John the Baptist. When you read about Paul, I mean, he was an intense guy. I told our church, listen, if Paul was a member of Oakwood Baptist Church, there would be people in our membership that do not like him. Why? He was intense. I mean, I think you'd look at Paul and be like, hey, cool it, Sparky. What's that guy's problem? I mean, really. Really? But this is a guy, I I don't agree with everything of Bill Bright and his philosophy of ministry, but he has a great statement. This is what he said. He said, regarding the people in the first century church, he said, Never have so many done so much with so little, while we have done so little with so much. And you think about the Apostle Paul, he lived before airplanes. Think about all of his travels, all of his missionary journeys. He, he didn't have any frequent flyer miles. He wasn't sitting in first class. Man, he'd be diamond medallion status if he was traveling day and, and, and he had none of that. He had no, no paved highways. He had to walk. I mean, it says in this text, it says a foot. It uses the word. He had to walk where he went. Maybe he rode a donkey. Again, I, I, don't, I don't know if there was enterprise donkey rental. I don't, I, don't under, I don't know. But I don't want to ride a donkey. I've never ridden a donkey. I have no interest in riding donkey. Maybe you've ridden a donkey. I saw people play donkey basketball one time. That was, that was entertaining. I mean, he he walked, rode some animal, sailed in a boat. You know what that all of that says to me? Slow. And I don't live slow. I don't know if you figure that out. I don't I don't do hardly anything slow. I am I do not believe you can go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature at 35 miles an hour. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He had to walk, ride a donkey, ride a sail in a boat. He didn't have a phone to call and talk to leaders of churches. He wasn't Zoom meeting all of the pastors in Ephesus. He, he, he didn't do that. He didn't have computers, email, texting, direct messages. He had no WhatsApp. He didn't have any of that stuff. Yet he shook the world for Jesus Christ. He accomplished great things for the glory of God. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting here thinking, okay, that's fine and good, that's really, I really respect that, I really admire that, but I'm no Apostle Paul, and I'm not either. None of us are. And, and again, I think it would be unfair to compare our lives to his, and aren't you thankful that God doesn't expect us to be him? Aren't you thankful God just expects you to be you, and to live your life, and let your light shine, and to do your thing for his glory? And while our life cannot compare to his, we still have a life, and our life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ is what's going to last. So how can we make a big difference? How can we make a big impact? Here's the powerful truth. I want to give you tonight two thoughts about using your life to make a difference. I want you to see them in this text. Very simple. Number one, differences are often made through everyday parts of life. Differences are often made through every Day parts of life, you know. We have often heard that the devil is in the details. Uh, When we say the devil is in the details, we mean there's some kind of catch or trick in the details. Like, for example, if you you watch uh, TV and you see some kind of commercial advertising a drug, and this drug will you know help you up you with your psoriasis or whatever it is that you have, and then at the end they've got some guy that talks really fast. The devil is in the details, right? Because what he says real fast is. You know, it may cause blindness, deafness, your left arm to fall off, and death. But it'll help you with your surprises. You know, the, de- the devil is in the details. But you know, somebody came along and said, yeah, well, the devil might be in the details. There may be some catch, some kind of trick. Understand this, a lot of times God is in the details. Let me explain by what I mean by that. You know, the little things in life... God is in those details. And if you look and you pay attention, God is taking all of those things, those little things, and he's putting them together to make something big. When we come to verses 1 through 6, basically what you're reading is a travelogue of Paul's missionary journeys. Did you notice, I mean, basically verses 1 through 6 and verses 13 through 16, all you're reading is basically the names of a lot of places, the modes of transport on how he got to those places, the individuals he met when he went there, and what he was doing when he met with those people. And these details, I think, may be of some interest, but for the most part, they're just simply mundane. You see what I mean, mundane? Mundane just means monotonous. It means, here's, here's what it means. It's a fancy word for boring. So, so I want you to understand, what Paul did is, is this is all it's saying in those verses, the majority of those verses in what we read. It's saying he traveled. That's exciting. Let me explain what I mean. So I came here. Listen, that's a long way. I don't know how many miles, but it's a long way from Anderson, South Carolina, to Nampa, Idaho. And so I flew in a plane. So what I did is I got up early in the morning. I drove to Greenville Spartanburg Airport. I sat in a lobby, read a book, got on a plane, flew to Atlanta, Georgia, sat in a lobby, read a book, got on a plane, flew to Boise, Idaho, got off the plane, got in a car, drove 20 minutes over here. And, and, And I got here in several hours of time. My wife wants me to check in and I want to check in with her. So here's what happens. I call her. She'll say, how was your day? I said, it's fine. And she'll say, what'd you do? Well, I sat in an airport and I read a book. I sat on a plane and I read a book. And I sat in an airport and I read a book. And I sat on a plane and I got in a rental car and I'm now sitting here talking to you. That's all I got. That's it. That's all I got. It's not, it's not very exciting. It's not very eventful. Every once in a while, something will happen. I might see somebody famous in an airport or, uh, you know, have some goofy experience. For the most part, you sit, you wait, you travel, you sit, you wait, you travel, and you read. Exciting stuff. Do you notice once he got to where he's going, here's what he did. He had meetings with people. I, I love verse 1. <laughs> this is so great for those of you that are in ministry. I, I love how it says there that, that, that it, there was an uproar. And then people embraced him. And that just is, that's such the ministry. What it means is those who faithfully minister to other people, you're going to experience both antagonism and affection. Meaning this, there are going to be some people who love you and want to hug your neck, and there are going to be some people that hate you and want to wring your neck. And Paul did that. And so what he did is he traveled and he met with people. And then when he met with them, notice what he did. It says in the text that he there was a lot of, in verse 2, it says there was much exhortation. So that means he preached and taught the Word of God. So so again, here's, here's what you got. This is basically what you got in for, first 6. And I'm going somewhere with this. Verses 1 through 6 and verses 13 through 16. Basically, it means this. Travel, meet, preach, repeat. So if Paul made t-shirts, he'd make one that says that. Travel, meet, preach, repeat. This is what he did. Whether he was in Corinth, whether he was in Ephesus, whether he was in Galatia. He traveled, met, preached, repeat. That's that's what he did over and over and over. And honestly, that's just pretty monotonous. Now I want you to think about that for a second. It is in the mundane that our character is truly revealed. Really. Because think about it. You as a church family under the leadership of your pastor said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a revival meeting. Again, just because you call it a revival meeting, you slap that word on it, just because you have that, doesn't mean we're going to have revival. God has to send that revival. And if we're defining it as a renewal of interest in spiritual things, we, we need God to do that in our life. And we, we hope that we accomplish that. And somebody say, well, okay, what are, you, what are you doing in this meeting? If you're inviting your neighbor, you're inviting your co hey, we're having a revival meeting. They might say, well, what are you doing in that? Well, we're going to, uh, we're going to sing, and then, and then we're going to pray. And then this guy's going to preach. Okay, so, so what, do you, what, what do you do on Sunday night after that? Well, we're going to sing, and then we're going to pray, and this guy's going to preach. Okay, so what's going on on Monday? Well, I mean, we're going to sing, and then, and then we're going to pray, and then this guy's going to preach. And we're, you, you do that on Tuesday, and you do that on Wednesday. Right. Okay, so when he's gone, come Sunday... So what do you do on Sunday? Well, I, I mean, we 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 sing, and then and then we pray, and then this guy's going to preach. That's what you do. That's what we do. do. Do you understand that doing that, God accomplishes an incredible work. Just doing it over and over again. I just think of the Bible. Think of the Bible. The You remember Joshua? Remember the walls of Jericho? Those walls came tumbling down. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that uh, military meeting? All the brass are around the table there, and they say, all right, guys, we got these walls. I mean, these are big walls. These are thick walls. These are walls like we haven't seen before. Anybody got any ideas? One guy said, I got one. What, What if we just walked around it? That sounds like a real dumb idea, doesn't it? I mean, I know it was God's idea, and I know I'm being a little bit facetious, but but I mean, think about what God had them do. I mean, God's strategy was, on the first day, you just walk around it. Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm just that kind of guy. On that first day, I would have thought, this is dumb. Like, what, what what are we accomplishing doing this? I mean, I'm thinking catapults. I'm thinking fire and arrows. I'm, I'm thinking all kinds of things, but I'm not thinking, let's just walk around it. And, and, and so I say, all right, boss, what are we going to do the second day? We're going to walk around it. Okay, how many days are we going to do this? You're going to do it six days. Okay, well, what are we doing on the seventh day? We're going to walk around it seven times. I, I mean, honestly, third or fourth day, I'd be like, let's just go home. This is dumb. This isn't accomplishing anything. But the truth of the matter is, is God wanted them to trust him enough to do the mundane over and over and over again until he broke through and did something special. And the truth of the matter is, is that's what God wants us to do. The everyday is the path we must walk to experience the significant. See, see, most people I know, it goes back to what we talked about a little bit in Sunday school, Wanting the, having the character to do what it's supposed to do. See, most people, you know, what are you doing, read your Bible every day? Yes, 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 read your Bible every day. Yeah, but some days I have a hard time staying awake. Some days I read something and I don't even remember what I read. But listen, I'm telling you, if you'll just keep doing what you're supposed to do, God will make a difference in your life. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, don't you think that's a little excessive? I mean, I know some churches, I mean, they just have Sunday morning service, a little small group and grab some coffee on Tuesday. It's like, hey, no, 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 listen, if you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, that accumulates into something significant. God is able to do something great when we just stick to the everyday. I came across this statement. I thought this was pretty good. It's not original to me, but it, it has to do with a postage stamp. Now, I know some young people. Maybe not. don't remember this, but I'm, I'm old enough. I still like old school mail. I like old. I get. I like getting a letter in the mail. Anybody else like that? I mean, I do, good. I think most people do. I make it a habit. I write every church member a personal letter throughout the course of the year. I write preachers every every Monday. I write preachers across the country just let them know I'm praying for because I think people like getting a letter from somebody. In order to get it, you you put that postage stamp on it, right? I mean, some of you are old enough to remember maybe when postage stamps were three cents, five cents. Now they're like 60 bucks or something like that, right? (laughs) Uh, But anyway, somebody said this, consider the postage stamp. Its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. I like that. See, I think a lot of people aren't willing to stick to one thing until it gets to the destination that God wants them to get to. They're not willing to do the mundane, everyday things, but I'm telling you, it is the everyday things where God does most of his work. The everyday is all part of getting to where God wants us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. And It's true. The Bible cashes in on this. In Zechariah 4 and verse 10, it says, For who hath despised the day of small things? But I think we as Americans, we have a tendency to despise the small things. I mean, we want everything to be bigger and better than it was before. I mean, you can't just have a revival meeting. I mean, you have to have a bigger, better one than you had last year. You can't just have a missions conference. Our giving has to be bigger and better than it was last year. And you can't just have a a Sunday school campaign or or whatever, a fall festival or whatever it is you're doing. It always has to be bigger and better and more exciting. Think about the event that's going on tonight. I mean, you know, some people say, we shouldn't even talk about that. Well, listen, we're all here tonight. Let's not ignore the elephant in the room, but, you know, this Super Bowl's got to be bigger than better. This halftime show and these fireworks and this and that and that commercial and this and that. It always has to be bigger and always has to be better. And we end up despising the small things. But I'm telling you it's the small things that make a difference. It's reading your Bible every day. It's praying every day. It's going to church on those mundane, normal services. Not the big services. Not when the full choir's going on. Not when the special music's pulled out and all that. It's just the everyday, mundane things. And you think about it in your life. Think about it in your family life. Yes, you have times where you went to Disney World or you had some big vacation, but when is the biggest impact made on your children? i tell you, it's not the big vacations. It's not the big roller coasters. It's not those big moments. It's the everyday moments where dad gets up and he goes to work and and he comes home at five and he eats dinner around the table and everybody does their homework and goes to bed. Those everyday things are what make a significant thing. And we have a tendency to despise those things. And we look at the Apostle Paul and we think about, wow, look how God used him to do this and God used him to do that. And we forget that most of what he did was he traveled, he met with people, he preached and he went and he did it again. Now let's move to the second point because it's very, very connected. Differences, I said, are often made through the everyday parts of life. Here's the second point. Differences are occasionally made through the exciting parts of life. Because I noticed sandwiched in between this travelogue is a pretty cool story. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. This is where, in verse 7, where the excitement really begins. It is in the middle of the mundane that God shows up with a miracle. Now understand, here's what happened. This group of believers was doing what they typically did. They were gathering on the Lord's Day, gathering on Sunday like we're doing right now. And what were they doing? They fellowshipped. Man, I love the spirit of this church. You know there are some church growth experts that say you shouldn't do the shaking hands thing. You know that that makes people uncomfortable and this and that. We still do it at our church, and I love it. I love that you do it here. It is exciting. It's fellowship. Listen, I love the fact that today, you know, people were sticking around fellowshipping and I'm sure that's the way it is. That's a sign of a healthy church that you have to turn the lights off and kick people out. So that's what they did. They did you notice here? They 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 were eating together, they were fellowshipping together. So they, they they gathered on Sunday, they fellowshiped, they were remembering the Lord, and they listened to preaching. So, right in the middle of doing what they always do, it was in the middle of the ordinary that something extraordinary or extraordinary happened. Somebody said it's like this it's like a gold mine. Uh, uh, in a gold mine, lots of repet- repetitious action is done before you strike gold. And it's true in ministry. A pastor will often preach many sermons before a particular sermon will strike gold. And so, here's what happens. Notice that Paul preaches till midnight. Don't don't you love the humor of the Bible? I love it. Look at verse 9. It says, that, and Paul Paul was long preaching. Like his service went till midnight. It's almost like you want to write, duh, long preaching if it went to midnight. I mean, that's, that's a long time. Most Bible commentators, we don't know this for sure, but they believe that Paul probably preached somewhere around four hours. That's a long time. I mean, that's like Jonathan Pyle territory right there. <laughs> but I like what Jay Vernon McGee said. He said this. He said, sermonettes produce Christianets. And if you knew anything about Paul, he wasn't interested in producing Christianets. I mean, this guy was really getting it at, at it. So if so, if you're gonna preach till midnight and you're gonna preach a four-hour sermon, the inevitable happened. Somebody fell asleep. And this is the first recorded instance of someone falling asleep in church in the Bible. And let me tell you something. There have been thousands of successors since. There's some here tonight. Now, if you're into Bible trivia, I mean, if you grew up in church, and, you know, if you, anybody else in here grew up in church and played Bible baseball and stuff like that, this might show up in, in Bible trivia. I mean, who was the guy that fell asleep in church and died? Eutychus. That's his name. Now, if you want to apply proper hermeneutics, that's the principles of Bible study, and you want to apply proper homiletics, that's the principles of of sermon preparation and presentation, clearly as you study the Bible, the moral of the text is this, don't fall asleep in church or God will kill you. Now, if you're sharpening on your toes, you might be saying, ah, preacher, I don't think that's it. I think the moral of the text is don't preach for four hours or you will kill us. (laughs) Somebody rightly said the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure. Or if you want to be a little bit more sophisticated, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, said this, when weariness begins, edification ends. And so that's what happened here. Now, honestly, if you'll let me preach for just a second, I I think falling asleep in church is not the main concern. It's not the main concern. I'll be honest with you, it used to bother me when some people would fall asleep in church. I mean, I work hard on a sermon, I'm giving it everything I got, and, and I may not be the most exciting one in the world, but I, I just tell you, it, it used to bother me and make me want to be like, hey, wake up, you know, and just kind of you know rebuke them and shake them and stuff like that. But the truth of the matter is, is I've kind of learned to let off on that because I'd rather you fall asleep here than fall asleep at home. And I recognize that some people have long days, some people don't feel well, some people are on medication, so on and so forth. I I, I get all that. And so my main concern is not so much people falling asleep in church. It kind of goes back to what I was preaching this morning. I I think what my main concern is this, is that there are people who warm a pew every Sunday, but their soul is asleep. I mean, there may be somebody in this room, and let's not assume anything. Maybe you're here, and you're not saved. Because Jesus said, listen, the wheat and the tares grow up. And when they're growing up together, you can't tell one from the other. And we're just going to leave that to God and his judgment to filter that through. But what that tells me is, as much as I'd hate to deny it, as much as what I'd want to deny it and hate to admit it, it means this, is that there are some people in my church that aren't saved. And I ask them, and we talk about it and I preach about it, But it concerns me to think that there are some that are willing to just kind of soul sleep. They're not even saved and they sit there all of the time. Or maybe they are saved, but they're what we call backslidden. You understand that the Christian life is not static, it's not neutral. You're either moving close to God or you're moving away from God. That's why it's good to have a revival and say, hey, let's everybody get on the same page and make sure that we're moving toward God. I mean, some might be 30 fold, some 60 fold, some 100 fold moving toward God, but we all need to be moving toward God because we're not just standing still in our Christian life. We're either getting closer to Him and moving far away from Him. And you know, there are some people that are moving far away from it and they don't care. They're drifting. And can I tell you something tonight? You never drift into something good. Never. You always drift into something bad. Here's the best illustration I can give of that. I don't know anybody anywhere at any time that ever woke up and said, Whoa! I have a six-pack of abs. (laughs) But I know a lot of us that have drifted into dad bod. You, You don't drift into good health. You don't. And you don't drift into spiritual health. And there are some people that sit there sleeping spiritually, just sleeping spiritually. And their eyes are awake, their ears are open, they're hearing what you're saying, but they are sleeping. That's a concern. There are some people that are, they just gotten. we talked about it this morning, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but God has something for us to hear. And that is this, don't get too familiar with it. Don't lose the wonder of it all in your salvation. Don't let the path become so packed down that the word of God can't affect your heart. No, 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 listen. That's what I think is more concerning to me than the fact that this young man fell asleep in church. That we might be sleeping spiritually. Let's give this guy some credit. Did you notice in verse nine, it says that he was sunk down. You know, if you study that phrase, it indicates that he was slowly overcome with this struggle. Come on, now, you ever seen somebody fall asleep in church and they're trying not to? It's it's funny. I mean, poor guys over there, and he's going, "Amen." You know, I mean, like poor guy's trying. He's just sunk down. Let's give Eutychus some credit. Right, it was late. It says it was midnight. Now, how many, I know we got some people who are night owls. Teenagers tend to be that way. College kids tend to be that way. But how many, my wife is early to bed, early to rise. I mean, she, she is. Early to bed, early to rise. In fact, she cracks me up. She'll, she'll, sometimes she'll be like, oh man, I, it's almost 10 o'clock. I got to get in bed. And I'll look at the, I'll say, Mindy, it's five after Nine. And she'll go, right, it's almost 10 o'clock. <laughs> How many of you are like that? I mean, after a certain hour, you, you know, you're know, you like Cinderella, you're going to turn into a pumpkin. I mean, now you just got to get in bed, right? So I mean, let's give this guy some credit. I mean, first of all, it was late. Second of all, the Bible makes specific mention that it was in the third floor. So what does that mean? Well, if you know anything about science, you know that hot air rises. I mean, it cracks me up. In our church, we have a balcony. Our balcony get real crowded, you know, praise the Lord for his blessings. Our balcony get crowded. But there are people that sit up in a balcony, and, they, and they, they, they look at me. They're like, you know, like, how dare it be so hot in here? And I always say, hey, dummy, the people down here got blankets. I mean, like, hot air rises. If you don't like it that hot, sit down here. Well, they were on the third floor. I don't think they had any other options. They're on the third floor. It's late. So it's stuffy. The Bible specifically also makes mention of this. Did you notice it says there were many lights? Okay, well, you understand they, these were not LED lights. I mean, help me out, church. What kind of lights were they? Yeah, candles, torches, fire. That's adding more, more heat. All right? So not only is it late, it's stuffy on the third floor with all these torches burning. It's been a long day. And then notice what, what Eutychus did. I mean, you got to give this guy some credit. What he did is he purposely was sitting by the window. I mean, it's like all these other good Baptists. Like, well, We have them in our church. Good Baptists, they get there early so they can sit in the back. And he got there so he could sit in the window, get some fresh air. And, and you know, he, he, he's doing his best. He's, he's trying, but he gets sunk down. And he falls asleep, and he literally falls out the window and he dies. Now you can imagine that would be quite a distraction to a service. I mean here's Paul, he's up there, you know, breaking down the doctrine of justification and you hear
2: ah!
1: thud. Everybody's looking out the window. Oh, eutychus I think he's dead. Now I don't know if we could share some stories later about different uh distractions that you've had in in a church service um I'll just share one real quick. When I was pastoring, this didn't happen while I was preaching, but I was moderating the service. I was standing here, and uh, we had just collected an offering. I think we were singing a song or something. And I noticed two of my ushers were in the back lobby, and you could see them from where I was standing. They were older men. I mean, this is no disrespect. it's just the truth. One was probably about 85, 86 years old. The other was approaching 80. The one that was about 85, 86, his name was Albert. The other one that was approaching 80, his name was uh, Charles Gordon. We called him Flash. He was, uh, he was just a funny, funny guy. Every church has got one, and he was a funny guy. Albert, not so much a funny guy, but he's a good guy. I mean, good, tough, old country man. And uh, man, I love Brother Albert. But One thing I didn't know, but I learned that day, is Albert didn't like to be tickled. <laughs> because after they collected the offering, a Flash came up, and he took both of his fingers like this, and he... He poked Albert in the side like that. Now, when I say Albert didn't like to be tickled, he really didn't like to be tickled. Because I'm not kidding you. You know, we're singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Brother Flash pokes Albert. Albert literally turned around and punched him. (laughs) Bow! Charles I know what happened so he grabs Albert and he's what are you doing and I got two geriatric men fighting in the back of the church That was that was quite a distraction I've had people pass out I've had people throw up I might have that effect on people I've had undisciplined kids run around. I've had phones go off. And don't you love when the phone goes off and the guy's phone that's going off, he's looking at everybody else with contempt. How, turn your phone off. That's ridiculous. Oh, oh, you know. (laughs) It was a distraction. It, 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 It just stopped the service, but... But we know the rest of the story. Paul falls on this man, and, and through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, he's able to raise this young man back to life. And it says there, I love the language of Scripture. And they were, they were uh, encouraged, not a little. They were not a little comforted. I bet they were. Huh? It says, awesome, what just happened. If you study this, you're going to find that Eutychus' name means fortunate. Now, let me just make a little bit of preaching Kind of application of that. And then I want to wrap the whole thing up if you don't mind. But I want you to think about how fortunate he really was. Can I point a few things out by observation of this text? Did you notice this? He had a church to go to. Can I say something to this church right here, West Valley Baptist Church? You ought to thank God. Hey, that'll help revival when you get grateful. You ought to thank God you got a church like this to go to. You know, I'm told there are over 400 counties in America that do not have a gospel preaching church. Right here in this valley, I don't know how many there are, but I know there's this one. And I do know this. I talked to my wife this afternoon. I said, this is a great church. This is a good church. Got good energy when you come into it. I really like this church. Listen, I'm telling you, you you don't know what you've got until it's gone. You better thank God you've got a church where you can come and you can worship and you pray and you can fellowship. And you don't, you don't have one teenager in your youth department. You, you don't have one person that can barely plunk out a song on, a, on an instrument. No, you, you are blessed. You are. Can I say this? You are fortunate. This man had a, had a church to go to. I want you to notice this. He also had parents that took him to church. It, it, we see that he was a young man. But I'm glad his parents made him go to church. Listen, I had parents that made Church was not an option in my house. I remember one time, we, Sunday afternoon after church, we were out playing in the yard. And I remember my dad said, hey, get in here. It's time to get ready for church. And I said, oh, do we have to? We went to church this morning. My dad really loved that. <laughs> we went to church that night. I don't think I ever argued about it again. You know, looking back on that, I didn't always appreciate it then, but I sure do appreciate it now. And can I say something to all the kids that are here in this room? If you're thinking, well, I'd rather be home playing video games. I'd I'd rather, why can't we stay home and watch uh, the Super Bowl? Why, why, why we got to be here tonight? I I wish we could play outside. I mean, why, 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 why we got to, listen, you are very fortunate if you have parents say, no, we're going to the house of God. That's what we're going to do. Very fortunate. How about this? He was fortunate because he had a man of God that was willing to preach the word. By the way, Eutychus did not fall asleep because he was listening to a bad preacher. You understand who was preaching here? Anybody in this room ever be interested in hearing the Apostle Paul preach? I mean, could I get a busload up of people that would want to go hear that? This guy didn't fall asleep because he had a bad preacher. He had a man who was willing to preach the Bible to him. And can I say this to you? You have a gifted preacher. I've I've heard your pastor preach. He has blessed my heart. I have been benefited by his preaching, and I know you are week in and week out. Don't get used to it. If you have a preacher who not only is faithful in doing it, but he has an ability to do it and a passion for it, then you are fortunate. Listen, I understand your pastor's preaching around and traveling a little bit. Can I tell you something that I've told some folks in my church? Just be glad you have a pastor that other people would like to hear. Because you could have a pastor nobody wants to hear. (laughs) How about this? Did you notice how fortunate he is? Paul took an interest in his life. Say, what do you mean? Okay. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but if you fell asleep while I was preaching and fell out the window and died, I don't know that I would have run down the stairs and tried to raise you back to life. I would have said, hey, everybody else in this room, look right here. (laughs) Sit up. This is a man of God talking right here. You mess around while I'm preaching. I'd have stuck my head out the window and said, serves you right. But he didn't. He, he went down and he, he poured himself into this young man. He was fortunate. I noticed this about him. He was fortunate because he was given a second chance. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you say, well, ah, it's too much, too much humor in a message. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was known for his wit and wisdom and humor as well. And here's what he said. He said about this passage. He said, remember. If we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no apostles to restore us. This man was given a second chance in life. And can we just testify a little bit tonight? Anybody else want to testify in here tonight? Aren't you thankful for second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth chance? I'm not talking about tempting God. I'm not talking about taking advantage of his good graces. I'm just simply saying we are all in this room recipients of additional chances. I'm so glad that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm glad that I've never once knelt in humility and defeat and asked God to forgive me and heard him say, nope, I've already forgiven you for that before and I'm not doing it again. No, he's faithful and just. And I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that and we ought to consider ourselves very fortunate. Let me just close. Thank you for making it easy for me to preach. But this is just simply the way God works. Often, the mundane is the path to the miraculous. If you don't mind, I'm going to preach for just a second, just a few minutes, and I might get happy. I'm sorry. But I want you to think with me for just a minute. Has this ever happened to you before? Have you ever read a passage in the Bible? I don't know how much you've read through the Bible. I've read through the Bible a number of times, from Genesis to Revelation, multiple, multiple times. I try to keep doing that. And I'm not not bragging. I'm just just saying. But has this ever happened to you? Have you ever read a passage of Scripture before? And you read it before. You read it again. You read it again. You read it again. But then there's one morning. You read a passage you've read dozens of times, and now all of a sudden when you read it, it jumps off all the page at you, and you say, huh, I've never seen that before. Now, let me help you. It's always been there. God inspired it, and he preserved it. It's always been there. So it's not like this new revelation. No, 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 no. It just required you to do the mundane many, 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 many times until finally one day. And listen, let me tell you something. It is a miracle when God himself speaks to us. And God speaks to us through the pages of his word. And he's chosen to reveal himself to us through this book that he has given us. And again, I'm telling you, my heart has been blessed of passages that I've read dozens of times, dozens of times. But then on that one morning, in that one situation, God speaks directly to me about something. I'm so glad I didn't give up on the mundane so that he could do the miraculous. Hey, come on. You ever sung a song before? Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father. I could tell you those lyrics. I know them by heart. I cannot tell you how many times I've sung that in revival meetings, church services, special meetings, men's meetings. There is no telling how many times I've sung that song. There's no telling how many times I will sing that song. And I can tell you there have been times where I've sung a song like that or a song like It Is Well. One of my favorite hymns is Jesus Is All The World To Me. I'm telling you, I've sung these hymns many times, even new songs many times. And sometimes I sing them, and I sing them, and I I do my best, and I sing out, and it's kind (laughs) of... But there are some times where I might sing my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And man, my hands may need to go up and the tears might start coming down my face. But listen to me, I'm telling you, do not despise the mundane, everyday things because it is in the mundane that God will sometimes show up and do the miraculous. You ever been in a church service? just, man, yeah, it was a good message. I learned a thing or two. I'm not despising that, I'm just simply saying, I've been in dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of services. I've heard more sermons than I can count. But come on. You ever been in a service where it wasn't like just every other day service? I don't know if this ever happens here, but every once in a while, it's not every time, every once in a while, when the choir sings the first note to start our service, I just know it's on tonight. It is on tonight. Have you ever been in one of those services? Now, I try to avoid cliches, but I know of a preacher who used to say this. I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. that might be cliche, it might be a little silly, but I'm telling you that's what I want. I want to put myself in a position that if God is going to show up, and by the way, I want to tell you, I don't know what God's going to do this week. I don't know what God's going to accomplish this week. I don't know if God's going to show up in any of the services this week. But I know this, if he chooses to do so, I want to be in my place when he does. I want to be right here if that's what God wants to do. Listen, how many people, and I'm not trying to chide anybody, and again, I'm preaching at the choir. You say, back off, buddy, I'm here. But I understand there's some people that aren't here tonight and should be here tonight. What if tonight's the night that God said, oh, man, I've got something for you. I want to be under the spout where the glory comes out. Because I've been in a dozen mundane services, everyday service, and they did me good, and God accomplished many works in those things. I had a pastor growing up. He pastored our church for 40 years. I'm going to tell you right now, he was my pastor. And I, I, I'm serious. I mean this in no disrespect. I can only remember one sermon he preached because he used some illustration about geese. I remember that. Outside, I don't remember any sermon that he preached. But I know this much. He loved God and he loved me. And all the sermons that he did preach that I can't remember added up to something in my life. And I know we're always in pursuit of that one special service where, man, I mean, people get saved and tears are flowing and this happens and that happens. But you've got to go through the everyday for God to accomplish most of his work. And you've got to go through that in case he ever does want to do something special. Again, I'm just going to say it. This is simply the way God works. Often through the mundane is the path to the miraculous. Let me ask you some questions. Are you willing to do the mundane and everyday things in your life? Just keep coming to church, keep reading your Bible, keep praying. Keep knocking on doors. Keep passing out tracks. I could have talked about that. How many doors have I knocked? To have nobody respond. But then there's that one. Here's number two. Let me ask you this. I mean, seriously, think about this. Are you waiting for God to do something exceptional? Can I tell you something tonight? I won't tell you the what. But there are some things in my life that I need God to do, and if He does not do His part, they will not get done. And I don't know when He's going to do them, but I know this I'm going to keep praying, I'm gonna keep trusting, I'm going to keep working until He decides to do it. Do you need to God to do something exceptional in your life? You have to be willing to go through the mundane in order to see it. Number three, do you realize that doing the everyday is where you run into the extraordinary? Don't despise the day of small things. And Let me ask you a question that brings us full circle back to where we started. Are you using your life or how are you using your life to make a difference? Because I bet some of you, you teach a class. You shake hands, you smile, you greet, you witness, you invite, you show up, you sing. And you think, am I, am I making a difference? Can I tell you something? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So let's keep this thought in mind. Again, simple truth. But I think it's a powerful truth. The everyday things are often where God makes a difference. The exceptional things are when God occasionally makes a difference. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting me preach a little bit tonight. I I hope that the message was a help and an encouragement and a challenge. And I pray that you would teach us to be faithful and just steady and, and just consistent so that we can live to see the miraculous. God, I don't know what this church needs. I don't know what each family needs. I don't know what each person needs. But I pray that you would just help us. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. How many would just say this with me? You'd say, Preacher, I just got to tell you tonight the Holy Spirit.